Hello and welcome to Equipping the Saints. I'm Ryan, and thank you for joining us today. Now that we have concluded our study on Roman Catholicism, I wanted to gauge where we are in our personal theology. Now, because we have seen what the issues were in the Catholic Church, it really begs the question for us, what do we believe? And does what we believe match up with the Bible? So over the course of the next couple of weeks, I'm going to go through the assessment with us to see where we stand as well as get clarification of if we are on track and if we're not. So the actual study is not original to me. It is actually something that is done as a partnership between Lifeway Ministries as well as Ligonier Ministries, which I'm a personal fan of the Ligonier Ministries, which was started by R.C. Sproul, but they do every two years something called the State of Theology. And what they do is they survey people who identify as evangelical Christians across the United States, and they give them a quiz to fill out, true or false questions, to see where they fall in being correct in a biblical standpoint. And the results are shocking. And unfortunately, over the last couple of years, since the last survey was done, the amount of people who believe in biblical truth has decreased. And we're starting to see a downward trend in what people believe as evangelical Christians, or at least they claim to be evangelical. So hopefully, if you are like me, who also claims to be an evangelical Christian, then we need to make sure that what we believe is sound doctrine. It's not something that is a lie or is perhaps misunderstood. And so let's go ahead and over the next couple of weeks, take this assessment ourselves, see where we stand. So the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to give you the statement, give you a second to think about it, and then we're going to go straight to the Bible and see for ourselves what the answer is. And once we explore what the Bible says, then we will answer the question, is this true or is this false? And then once we've established that, then I will share with you what your average Christian claims to believe. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get started. So statement number one, God is a perfect being and cannot make a mistake. Do we believe that this is true? And where can I find out if this is true in the Bible? So I want you to consider these two pieces of scripture. If you wanted to read along with me, you're welcome to pause at any time and look at it yourself or just make a note for future study. The first one is going to be Psalm chapter 18, verse 30. As for God, his way is blameless. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. His way is blameless, which means his way is perfect. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Therefore you are to be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So can we say that this statement is true, 
or is it false? It is true. God is a perfect being and cannot make a mistake. Now, what does your average Christian believe? Well, good thing is 66% of all believers agree with that statement. However, 34% either are not sure or disagree with that statement. And that is big. So really, if you were to have a room with three people in it, one of those people does not believe this to be true. And why would you be a Christian if you trust in a God who can make mistakes? This is certainly something that should be taken very seriously in that we understand God is perfect and he cannot make a mistake. Number two, there is one true God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. John chapter 17, verse 3. This is eternal life, that we may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Would you say this is a true or false statement? This is absolutely true. There is one true God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it was always understood that way since the very beginning. You go back to even Genesis 1.1, where it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That word God in Hebrew is the word Elohim, which is a masculine plural noun. So it was always understood from the very beginning that he identified as a masculine plural God, and yet he was one. This was understood that way because you even see it in the law of Moses, right? There, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. Our God is one. They understood that. Our Elohim is one. Number three. God accepts worship from all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. Little children, guard yourself from idols. What does that mean? Does that mean that anything that's not God is considered an idol? Yes, it does. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. John 14, 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father but through me. Can we say this is a true or false statement? This is a false statement because obviously God is making it very clear there's only one way that he desires to be worshipped, and that's straight to him, as well as through his son, Jesus Christ. So any other form of worship or religion is 
counterfeit, and the Lord does not accept the worship from those things. How many people do you think believe that? The bad news is that 67% of all Christians believe that this statement is true. Yet the Bible says that this is false. That scares me. Two-thirds of the people in your church believe that God accepts worship from all religions. And that is not true at all. That's not what the Bible says. This is a guaranteed false right here. So surely we need to use the scripture for itself and show these people the error of their ways because we cannot assume something about God that's not true because then our faith is useless if we're believing in something that isn't true. Number four, God learns and adapts to different circumstances. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow which means he does not change. He is a constant. So is this statement true or false? This is false. God does not need to learn or adapt to anything because he is omniscient, meaning that he knows all things, that nothing is impossible for him. He is already aware of everything at once. He doesn't need to learn anything because he already knows everything. Nor does he need to adapt because if he adapted to anything, then that means that he was wrong or he did not see it coming. And that is simply just not who God is. He is sovereign over the entire universe. 52% of Christians believe that God does learn. So you're, you, roughly half of the Christians in the world today believe that God learns and adapts. This is simply not true. And we need to be clear in our understanding of what the Bible says. Because, again, if we try to imagine God within our own capacity, what we as human beings are capable of doing, then we will misrepresent God every time. Because he is far greater than we are. And so we can't limit him because we are limited creatures. Number five, the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ is accurate and actually occurred. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 28. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain, your faith also is in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God, 
because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after that those who are Christ's at his coming. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he is accepted who put all things in subjection to him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself also will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him, so that God may be all in all. This was a long reading of 1 Corinthians, but it really illustrates the point as to why this is the way it is. So, is this a true statement or not? Yes, it is a true statement that Jesus was physically raised from the dead, and it actually happened. It is not just a story, and it is not something of fiction. Now, 60 6% of believers attest and affirm this. However, that means that 33% of all believers do not believe that there was a physical bodily resurrection. And that's sad, because like Paul just explained in his letter to the Corinthians, if you don't believe Christ was really raised from the dead, then everything you believe is wrong because that means Christ did not actually die for your sins, and you are a sinner going to hell. We cannot think that, because that is simply not true. Number six. Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John chapter 8, verse 58. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. And that word usage, I am, is the same language as as God used in the burning bush. What name do I call you? Tell them, I am sent you to them. 
using his covenant personal name to Moses, Yahweh. So basically, that's what Jesus is telling these Pharisees. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, Yahweh, I am Yahweh. And that's why they wanted to stone him, because they thought he was committing blasphemy. So is this a true statement, that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God? That is false, because Jesus is not a creation. Now, you kind of have to understand how the incarnation works, the God becoming flesh. That he wasn't created. He allowed his same spirit to indwell a body, but he is not a created being. It's so often misunderstood because we think of the Son of God being something that is born from God, you know, because we think of a son and a father in human terms, and my kids are half me and half my wife. And so we think of the same dynamic with God the Father and God the Son, but they are the same God, but a different person of the Trinity. So it's beyond our comprehension exactly how that works, but we cannot believe that Jesus is a created being, because he's not. He is God himself. The same God of the Old Testament is Jesus Christ. We have to believe that, because that's what the Bible teaches. Number seven. Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. Luke chapter 22, verse 70. And they all said, Are you the Son of God, then? And he said to them, Yes, I am. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. So is this a true statement? Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. That is obviously false. He is God. We just discussed that quite a bit in the previous question. So, same results for both, being Jesus being a created being, as well as Jesus being a great teacher. 53% of Christians today believe that Jesus was not God. More than half of the people in your church don't believe Jesus was God. That is so sad. We have to believe that Jesus is God, because that's what the Bible teaches. And it's not just my opinion. It is what the Bible says. So you claim authority of the Bible, or and you believe that the Bible is true, then why don't you believe that? It might be because you don't even look at your Bible, that you don't even know it's there. That's worse. But please don't misunderstand that this is not a means to condemn someone. This is just merely a gauge as to where somebody stands in their faith. And we need to represent God completely. And if we believe in falsehood, we need to have it corrected. This is just a means of gauging where you are at. 
Number eight, and this is a very controversial one in today's world, and you'll see why. God created exclusively male and female. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 9. Some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Whatever, therefore, God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. So is this statement There is only male and female. Is this true? Yes, that is absolutely true. And this is actually one I was very surprised with, considering the climate of the world today. But 78% of the people who took the survey believe this to be true. So that is a very strong positive we have going for us, that your average Christian understands that male and female are the only way it is. There is no transgender movement. There is no gender fluidity. There is no gender identity. You are either male or you are female as you were born biologically. Number nine. The Holy Spirit is a force and not a personal being. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for forty years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Is this a true statement or not? This is false. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is a person. He is the third person of the Trinity. He has a will. As we saw, he speaks. A force does not speak. And you can grieve him, which means he has emotions. He has feelings. 
He is a person, and he is the person that dwells within every true believer of Christ. Now, how many Christians do you think believe this? 59% think this is a true statement, that the Holy Spirit is only a force. So, that's very sad, that they don't know who they have within them. It's not some sort of holy power that you have within you. It is a personal being who lives within you, and guides you, and convicts you, and saves you forever. So let's treat him like he deserves to be treated. Here's another good one, and this will be the last one for today. The Holy Spirit gives new spiritual life before someone accepts Christ. John chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. Jesus answered and said to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So is this a true statement or not, that the Holy Spirit renews you before you accept Christ? This is a true statement, okay? Because this is what is also called the doctrine of regeneration. So that because in your natural state, you will not be able to find Jesus attractive. You will not seek after God in your unsaved state. So what happens is the Holy Spirit, when and this is also part of the doctrine of election and predestination, where you were chosen before creation to be saved. And so when it is time for you to be saved, God will regenerate you. He will like the Bible says, you will become a new creature. And becoming a new creature gives you the ability to see God for who he really is. And because you will see God for who he really is, you will see Jesus Christ for who he really is, and you will accept him readily. So in this case, this is a true statement. The Holy Spirit gives new spiritual life before you even accept Christ. That is the doctrine of regeneration, election, and predestination. So how many Christians do you think understand this? Well, 50% of all Christians believe that this is true, but the one thing that really was the most shocking result was that almost 25% were not even sure. They don't know. So that tells you right there, in your church today, half of them believe it to be true, and the other half don't even know what it is, or don't agree. Do you see how stark this is of a contrast? This isn't just a, well, 80% or 98% believe, and there's a 2% that don't, which would be a vast minority, right? But we are seeing huge numbers of people not agreeing with what the Bible itself says. And that is scary. 
And that is why we as leaders in our church, in those who are followers of Jesus Christ, have a responsibility to talk about God with people. And now that you are aware, or have already been made aware, of the truth, you have an obligation to share that with people, even in your own church, because there are people among you who don't know the truth, and they need to know the truth. This is going to take two more weekends to go through all of this, but I wanted to go ahead and stop right here so that it's not too long. But we will pick it up next week with part two of this survey. I thank you for your time, and I hope you've enjoyed this. But that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.